Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, again with the added subtitle, this is Korean Cinema. This is Season 2, Episode 2 on Yongari or Yongari and Pulgasari. And the reason we're covering these, these ones, uh, since monster movies from Japan are so much fun, but in particular the, when the popular kaiju genre movies went outside of Japan, and were made in Taiwan, in, in Thailand, yes. Essentially, we, yeah, yeah, we did get poor imitations outside Japan, but they were sincere and fun imitations. And Korea have two main ones, two known ones that are kind of quoted uh, once this subject is brought up, this genre is brought up within Korean cinema. And one is more notorious than the other, and we'll talk all about that tonight. And... My name is Kennedy, and I'm with, once again, the Korean cinema experts, in my mind. They might undersell themselves, uh, because uh, we, we, are never, we, we never want to tout ourselves as experts. But regardless, Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid is here again, so say hi, buddy. Hi there. And Rufus Duran of Cine Awesome is also here again. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And again, we are looking at 1967's Yongari and 1985's Pulgasari. And this is going to be fun. So uh, let's uh, go through our respective contact information and uh, check in with each other a little bit. So this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire network website for this and all the other shows, podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. The old forum that is now closed due to problems with spam and crap like that. It's it's still viewable for those who registered before. It's at podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. The members only archive is still there containing all the extras we did in the past. Exclusive movie reviews and things like that. But whenever we do extra content, more extensive extra content uh, rather than just silly outtakes, we produce bonus episodes and we put them on the website. Those are podcasts exclusive to podcastonfire.com they will never be on itunes or stitcher and in the case of some bonus episodes they shouldn't be on itunes and stitcher uh the discussion that was in the uh, on the forum robert that has now uh, moved on to facebook so we have two endeavors over there facebook.com forward slash pof network is our page that you can click and like but if you follow the link on that page you'll get to the discussion group and uh, just Click uh, request to be added and welcome in and have a chat with us. You can also type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box and that will pop up. And follow us on Twitter, Twitter as well, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. Over at sogoodreviews.com I do my writing of... Um, uh, Korean movies don't tend to pop up over there, but um, that's my... Obviously, that's my fault. <laughs> not, respectable, not respectful enough to do Korean movie reviews, but you have to pick and choose. I pick Taiwan. I pick... The smutty side of Hong Kong and uh, the shameless side of uh, ex- exploiting the likes of Richard Harrison <laughs> in all those ninja movies. And I do that on SoGoodReviews.com. And I do my video reviews on SleazyKVideo.com. And all of that nonsense is on Twitter as well. Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Subscribe to us via iTunes. We are separating the, the feed so you can now subscribe to each individual show um, in as a separate feed, including What's Korean Cinema. And if you like the show and the shows, leave us a comment and a rating. That would very much be appreciated. 
And finally, you can also stream us via Stitcher. Stitcher.com is the application for your computer, or you can download the free application for the various and most common, common phones and tablets out there. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Podcast on Fire Network, and you can add each show individually. And moving over to you, Rufus. Plugs in awesome, and tell us in short what's going on right now. All right, so Cinema Awesome is uh, cinemaawesome.com. It's a website where you can go and read reviews, and mostly we do a um, a weekly, sometimes, mostly weekly, recently not so much because I've been busy, podcast uh, where we take two films, mash it together, and talk about them. Uh, and right now we're in a transition period because uh, basically what's going to happen is Cinema Awesome is becoming the Badass Digest. As Badass Digest is to, um, you know, Alamo Drafthouse, Cinema Awesome is becoming the Badass Digest of uh, Subway Cinema, which is the guys that run New York Asian Film Festival, where I am now a assistant programmer. Um, so we're in transition, and we're actually shutting down the website uh, to do a massive redesign until, like, basically we're launching in December, relaunching in December. Uh, So that's the big news and why there's nothing been going on on the website because there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff making sure, like, who's getting paid to do what and, you know, what's going to happen. So that's the big news, and actually this is the first public public, – talk of this so you guys have an exclusive right now Ooh, yeah and and, and this will definitely come out before december i i yeah. do i do keep a pipeline a large pipeline but since we haven't had a what's korean cinema on the net, network for a while i am to aim to put this out quite quickly so definitely before december so this yeah. will not be so, four so when, yeah so when people go they'll see like an under construction sign that i'm working on right now on the website so i can tinker with everything behind the scenes and uh, not have it constantly changing everyone's RSS feed. Um, But just know that in December we're relaunching with a new look and we're going to cover a lot more New York-based film events and Asian cinema stuff um, while keeping all of the great stuff that we do, like Western film reviews. One of my friends is going to start doing a Romanian cinema series. so, yeah, that's been that's what's going on. So you can down, also download us on iTunes and uh, follow us on Twitter at Awesome. Great, a, 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 a positive development rather than a fallout. It's yes. always good. <laughs> yeah. So we're not dead because people keep being like, "Are you guys alright? Are you guys?" No, we're all friends still. No one's like. <laughs> Have you killed each other yet? <laughs> yeah. James and Billy and I all still hang out and drink beer. We just, you know, it's. <laughs> It's 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 hard because you know like as you guys both know, doing websites while you have jobs and other things going on mm-hmm. is a difficult prospect because none of us are getting paid to do this. And even when you know Subway Cinema is kind of like taking you know, over the administrative responsibilities in some ways, none of us are getting paid. It's just like they're helping us essentially, like branding. So you know. Going well, and uh, congrats also so, since uh, it's been so long since all of us spoke. Congrats on finishing school, man. Oh, yeah, thank you cool. very much. 
And oh yeah, and also in terms of Korean cinema, I'm also going to Busan Film Festival, um, and I'll announce this now too because by this time it will be public information. Uh, so at New York Asian Film Festival is launching a new project called the Asian Film Preservation Fund, and we are going to be fundraising to restore and preserve uh, genre film from Asia, including Taiwanese black cinema, uh, 70s Korean action film, things like that. So uh, it's going to start off slow at first. We're going to help archives fund new prints, uh, get subtitles on some things that have never been subtitled, and hopefully get them, you know, at least in the festival circuit, if not distribution circuit holy hell that sounds like a dream come true when you yeah. say taiwan you know my movie boner gets you know Thank up you. there but we we do a taiwan show on the network now if you if you oh, yeah, know I, oh i oh i know so uh, been, it's been hard for me because this has been in, like i haven't been able to say anything about this for a while because it's all been behind the scenes. when you hear me moan and like almost cry on taiwan more why yeah. aren't these movies available uh, maybe now some of that will yeah. be rectified so so i'm going to pusan to announce this so by the time you guys put this out i already have announced it um we're speaking at the cinema forum there uh with the world cinema foundation guys which is martin scorsese's uh company that uh, helped restore uh the housemaid right on so so yeah so that's another big so here's two big announcements wow and and hopefully for your yeah we really want taiwanese black film uh we're big fans of subway cinema so we want to help that and then i personally would love to see some 70s korean action films be more widely uh released I just say on both those scores, it's lucky this is a voice call because I'm slowly turning green with anime. <laughs> the Busan thing's bad enough because um, obviously I can't make it, but wonderful. Congratulations. Fabulous yeah. stuff. So Thank exciting. So yeah, exciting. It's, 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 been, it's been years and years and years of work, but it's slowly paying off. So, you know. And for the website, too. It sounds like it's yeah. going to be you know, unmissable. Yeah, uh, no, it's going to be fun. Stuff. Yeah, and we're going to try really hard to get some um, great interviews. Uh, and, like, for instance, when we do the special guests, like, we want to do uh, our own in-depth interviews with the people that we bring in to, uh, you know, like this year we brought Donnie Yen and Chairman Sheik and uh, Chung Chung Hua over. Oh, and, like, the whole time I'm like, oh, man, like, we need to interview them as Subway Cinema, like, in-depth, sit down and do these great... Because Chung Chung La, man, all he wants to do is talk shit about working at Shaw Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the gossip that you could possibly want to know about the Shaw Brothers uh, back in the day. So, for, for anyone who doesn't know, he's most famous for King Boxer, a.k.a. Five Fingers of Death, the terrific King Boxer. That's my, that was my highlight of my summer. <laughs> So if anyone would have asked me, what did you do, Ken? I reviewed porn. <laughs> Something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. hey, that's, and that's I, and I will continue to review porn. <laughs> that's important. I'm actually helping two people right now. Uh, one of somebody I know is working on a thesis about stag films from the 70s. And, right on. Uh, I'm so glad like, you did say I'm helping two people make porn. No. <laughs> Been there, done that. I'm not interested in doing it anymore. 
there's right. there's a story for it. Yeah, that's a story guy. for off air. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, over to you, Paul. Tell us about your website, Hangul Celluloid, and what's been going on. Uh, basically, I run HangulCelluloid.com. Um, up until fairly recently, it was mostly a review website, um, and over the last year, I've sort of tried to push interviews a lot more. Yeah, you've the been doing a really good job with that, by the way. I, it, 50% really pleased with it, and 50% could be better, if you like. Half of them are sort of group interviews that are run through the Korean Cultural Center here, which yeah. is great. But from a perspective of sitting with a director and building up a rapport, you just don't get the chance. So it's very much a couple of questions, and then... Other people, and it, you get an overall good interview. But you know, I'm a bit self-serving. I like to to focus myself and ask exactly what I like, what I want to. So, I guess the individual interviews, I've really been trying to push them as well, um, because I personally feel I can aim those better. Um, so I'm hitting about I don't know two a month, one individual, one group, and. Yeah, it's building quite well. Yeah, and um, you just got interviewed. Yeah, I, how weird is that? You know, <laughs> I, I I got an email that these Korean class massive bloggers, and they're, they're doing a great job. They post a lot of stuff, and so it's all really good. Um, and they just won a trip to Korea for their blogging. Um, and they, they emailed me and went, yeah, we want to turn the tables. Can we interview you? And I'm like, why Why? why do you want to talk to me? <laughs> you know, so I was happy to do it, but I just, I don't stop talking. So anybody that actually reads it, it just goes on and on. I, I looked at it tonight and got about a quarter of the way through. Just <laughs> oh, shut up, Paul. You know, so um, it, it was fun. It's just really strange. And in hindsight, the, the hard time I give director after director trying to ask questions that'll, you know, twist them a little bit. You just think, you're nasty. You've done so, so bad things, you know. But it's all good. So, yeah, I've just been interviewed. Um, I'm going to get back to doing the interviews from now on. Um, a few other things in the pipeline, hopefully, for the site. Of maybe getting one other person involved in Korea, but I'm not really allowed to say much more than that, or that person will have my guts for garters. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully in the near future, there'll be a little bit extra. Um, like you say, running a site, not getting paid, and, and trying to live your normal income life as well can be difficult at the best of times. And I'm forever almost feeling that I'm playing catch-up to try and keep up with decent posts, decent reviews, decent content. Um, so maybe a little bit of exclusive Korean stuff might help it along. It's all in process, I guess. Um, but I'll keep you informed. Um, you can catch me on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash hanglecelluloid, and I'm on Twitter at, at hanglecelluloid. And if anybody wants to email me, it's funnily enough, hanglecelluloid at gmail.com. And I'll always answer emails. I, re I review porn. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day you'll get interviewed about that. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. But, so oh, the maid. I, I had the same. I had the same experience. Like, because 
usually I hate doing interviews myself. Like I just don't like interviewing people. But usually that's what I'm doing. And then, but when you get interviewed, it's so awkward. It's oh, it's, it's so it, awkward. There are, there are no words to describe it. You just my head exploded. You know, and it's the first interview that I've ever given, and possibly the last. Um, weird thing, weird. I mean, you, you do you do you do often work inside of your bubble, and and being interviewed requires you to receive that I don't know that that outside perspective on your work that you see from the inside all of the time. I I bet that has something to do with this as well. That I think it probably does. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's impossible like, as a creator to watch it from the outside. It just is. If you're deeply involved in it, even if you take, even if you distance yourself from it, you're still working from the inside. So, so I gather that's a bit surreal. Yeah, an experience. Hmm. Uh, okay, on the topic of experience with the genre that we're covering tonight, uh, before we go into the movies, I, I want to get your brief take, guys, on in. In general, if you are fans of the kaiju genre, the monster movies of Japan and the like, so if we go over to you, Rufus, is this something that uh, that uh, gets you a movie boner, if you will? Oh yeah, the first movie I ever remember watching was Godzilla. Like I, that is literally, I think, the first cinematic memory I have of watching Godzilla, and that it kind of. It's still, like, when I used to go over to watch movies at my grandparents' house, a lot of my grandfather's films were, like, uh, you know, Japanese monster sci-fi movies. So I used to watch things like, you know, Rodan and Godzilla and um, what, whatever, The Mysterians, which is one of, like, the best, like, weird science fiction things. Yeah. So, hell yes. And I, I have to say, I am actually kind of excited for the... Uh, New American Godzilla. I know that it probably everybody that loves Asian film wants to kill me now, but the monster nah, design nah, nah. is cool. And I'm also really excited for Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pacific Rim because I like as much as I like giant monster movies, I also love giant robot movies. So. <laughs> uh, All righty, and. Um... You know, I've done a large series over at Japan on Fire on Kaiju, so listeners know I'm, pre- I'm, 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 I was reintroduced, fair, reintroduced quite late in the game. Uh, again, you know, via that series, then I took it on fully, finally. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very new fan in a way, or, 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 um, or a reawakened fan. So that, that's my brief take on it. So if we move over to you, you Paul, Kaiju genre, like or dislike? very much like I'm probably less of an expert on the genre than either of you guys. I mean, my background, I, funnily enough, if you can tell from my accent, I grew up in Northern Ireland, and there are a lot of bad things about Northern Ireland, but one good thing is there are an awful lot of Asian films, Asian TV shown late at night or Saturday afternoons. You know, I grew up as a kid watching Monkey and The Water Margin. Hmm. Um, I remember watching Godzilla way back when. Um, so I was very aware. I guess you catch stuff as you go, go along. I love monster movies for what they were. They're, they're fun, easy entertainment. In terms of the things we're talking about tonight, I saw them specifically because they were Korean cinema. 
rather than them being monster movies. I guess it all adds up. As I say, not as much of an expert as you guys, but you know, certainly a fan. They always, you know, the easy entertainment is a good word because they movies could be uneven as hell, but where it counts, you know, the, the actual monster action, if you will, if that was great, I could often regard movies as you know full-on classics because that 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 just gets your inner child out when it's done right when the rhythm is right when anything is done right you 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 get giddy and uh, and uh, and this era that yongari is uh is uh, in the middle and i mean uh japanese cinema were were making these uh, you know left or right you know and uh And, and 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 that era certainly still in my mind the very best the most creative uh, out of Japan and it's and it's uh, and it affected uh, other countries as well. Yeah. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll talk of Yongari from 1967 to uh, and decide on whether or not it can measure up to uh, Japan. So a little bit of background on it. Uh, first of all, it's the, it's directed by Kim Ki Duck, but. This is just a director who shares the same name with the Kim Kiduk of uh, The Isle and Free Eye on Fame. But it's a famous director in his own right, so... Uh, but uh, first of all, i got to give you a plot, and that go- takes like five seconds to do a plot on this movie. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's not intricate at all. So... Earthquakes in Central Korea turn out to be the work of Yongari, a prehistoric gasoline-eating reptile that soon goes on a rampage through Seoul. That's all you need. So, <laughs> you know, sums it up. Yeah, you know, you know, there's no mentions of uh, characters there because uh, who cares about those? In this case, anyway, <laughs> no one needs to know about any humans. Just that Yongari is coming. Uh, it's uh, the Korean title. I'm not. I, I I need some help pronouncing the Korean title here. So I'll I'll, I'll let it. I, I'll let you, Rufus, have a go at this one. Okay. So it's it's Kwisu Yongari, and Te is big. Kwisu is monster, and Yongari is Yongari, and so it's it literally means big, great monster, or big monster Yongari. Yeah. Poetic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they knew what they were in for when they when they yeah. went to well, sit down I, in cinemas. I think that's like I think you know, one of my favorite things in Korean are like those things where it's just like literally, the literal meaning of the word is like like it's so ba- like okay. For my favorite thing is fish in Korean is murgogi, and it literally means water meat. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's just. You know, it's very, very clear and concise, and you know exactly what it is. <laughs> I like that. That 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 is poetic, though. <laughs> that that I like. Uh, okay, this Kim Kidok entered the film industry in the mid '50s, first as an editorial engineer, working himself up to assistant director, and eventually debuting as co-director with the Korean war-themed film Five Marines in 1961, and that eventually. Uh, got an award. He got an award, Best New Director Award at the 1962 Grand Bell Awards. Uh, and other major films by this Kim Kiduk includes uh, Until Peonies Blossom, 1962, Private Tutor, 1963, The Barefooted Young, or The Barefooted Youth, I've also heard it uh, translated as. Uh, that was 1964, Keep Silent When Leaving from the same year, A Burning Youth, and Mother from 1966. And is 
really considered to be a leading director of this Korean new wave of the 1960s and um, was a director that really made uh, distinctive movies in the popular melodrama genre and the melodrama genre is not necessarily you know gold on paper but it seems like this was a director that handled it well so if I stop my background right there these movies that I mentioned I mean uh, do they for, for Korean cinema fans do they immediately spark like reactions you know classics upon classic or, or how known are these movies right now guys I actually think Barefooted Young or Barefooted Youth for some reason, I think it's on the Korean Film Archive YouTube channel. I believe Don't, it uh, is. I wouldn't swear to it. I meant to check about five minutes before we started this, and I completely forgot. Um, but for some reason, it sticks in my head as being on it. He's really well known for his melodrama back in the day. Um, he made so many melodramas that he's going to be big because melodrama was the thing back in the 60s. Um, in terms of young Gary, I honestly not a melodrama. <laughs> I, not a melodrama. Although there's a fair bit of crying in it. Um, yes, a, a lot of crying. Well, okay. not as much as Plugasaur. <laughs> well, you know, um, and by the way, will, Barefooted will, Youth will, is is on YouTube. That says it all, really. If it's on Koffer's YouTube channel, it's a classic film because. They're all classic. Um, but yeah, well known. In terms of younger age... Well, what I happened get, there? I, I mean, no. It for itself because of what it is, but not exactly what he'd be remembered by in terms of his career. He was melodrama, full stop. Yeah, you wonder. I mean, uh, uh, my kind of theory about, you know, if I were to put forth for theory, hopefully at that time maybe Kim found time to chase this whimsy or just got hired to helm a big monster movie, a big event movie, regardless if his prior career pointed to the, towards this genre or not. Um, uh, I, I personally didn't find any like behind-the-scenes story about the creation of uh, Young Gary, but, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, hurt the career of uh, Kim, obviously. You know, uh, maybe it was not beneath a graduate with a degree in creative writing. You, you, you could be creative within, you know, a sci-fi genre or a monster movie genre, if you will. So, um, totally. And, may, and, maybe and, I saw it as a challenge. And I guess there's that whole thing of, like you say, the Japanese and whatever else stuff was so big back in at that time that... that Korea wanted to get on the thing, and he probably thought, yeah, that's quite a good idea, let's do that, it'll be fun. You know, we're guessing, but sounds quite likely to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, I mean, at that time, you had, you know, 67, you had, like, uh, Toho had released Godzilla and the Sea Monster in 66, I mean, like, this was, like, a Gamera, Dae just had released Gamera, and, uh, you know, like, all of these other you know, kaiju movies were coming out. And it was sort of like at the peak, I think like this, like 67, 68 was like the Mm -hmm. peak of like when really good stuff was coming out. Because pretty much after that, like it was just like, even the Godzilla movies just kind of were like, oh, well, here's a giant lobster. Oh, here's, (laughs) you know, whatever. But like before that, like you had really good, you know, kind of movies. Um you know, and then there's like the horrible, horrible uh, X from Outer Space that came out in 1967, which is 
one of the worst kaiju movies. But yeah, so I think like also Korea was just like, oh, Japan's doing this, let's do it. Yeah. I think around this time, either the year before this year or '67 or the year after, Destroy All Monsters came out was watched uh, out of Japan. That was planned to be the last Godzilla yeah, movie. So even, so even Toho, oh yeah, it was before. Yeah. So even Toho was like, okay, let's, okay, we've done enough. Let's do a big old, you know, brawl. Uh, but then it was successful, and then they continued on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, back to Kim Kiroki. He's actually retired from filmmaking since 1977, and is unless this info is wrong, I hope it's current. Uh, is working as a professor in the film department of. Seoul Institute of the Arts. I think that is current. As far as I haven't heard anything about him passing away or anything. So. Hmm. And uh, in terms of availability of Yongari, at this point, it doesn't seem like a commercially available original language I, version. I think it's hmm? public domain. It at is, least in the US. It, is the original language version actually? Available oh, because I don't think the oh the original language I don't think is available at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I was about to say what what is what is mostly available is the U.S. American International Pictures edit a uh, re-edit because it's shorter, renamed Yongari Monster from the Deep. But it seems like a Korean version is not um, available at this time. It's actually twenty minutes longer uh, the Korean version, believe it or not. Uh, and it, it was the this AIP version that i watched for this episode and i assume you guys watched the english dubbed version for this one yeah yeah and it's actually that one yongari monster from the deep is released as a double bill dvd and it's paired up with the giant ape film conga from 1961 Uh, original country of production for conga escapes me right now but uh, uh might be japanese and regardless of what it is that's a terrific name for anything so I'll, I'll i'll jump on that in a heartbeat that's the magic of the, these monster movies for me these, these b movies cult movies if you will doesn't take much to bring me in what's this movie called conga yeah so where you want to be <laughs> yes stay, stick with that yeah and uh, again this version on uh, dvd by mgm actually uh, it runs uh, 80 minutes and uh it's a reported running time in Korea is about uh, 100. And someone apparently did get a quote from a gentleman called James Owsley, a former director of technical services for MGM, where he talked about not being able to find the original Korea negative. And he believes anyway, uh, based on his research and all of that and his team or what have you, that it may no longer exist or at least exist in a, in a version that you can put out commercially. Who knows, maybe plays on Korean TV late at night or something like that. So, um, yeah, or, or uh, it's in North Korea. <laughs> never know, we're Quite keeping possible, this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was actually remade in 1999 by director Shim Hyung Rae. Was actually also released in, an, in, a, uh, in a, an additional upgraded cut in 2001 only two years after he did a George Lucas if you will which is the most most widely seen version I think special effects were redone and, and, and some crap like that for a, uh, for a remake of uh, Yongari you guys seen that heard anything about that or it's yeah I, I saw it when it was released the second time in Korea 
uh, that was the first time I'd ever been to Korea. It was the third Korean movie I'd ever seen. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I haven't seen the 1999. Oh, don't bother. What, what, I've, what I've read about it, I'm not going near it. You know? If you've seen uh, D-War, or have you even uh, seen a bit of D-War, oh. just imagine that, but worse. You've, you've sold me, or not sold me, as the case may be. <laughs> I, I mean, the the monster design was really cool, and, like, that was it. Everything else was horrible. If that was your third Korean movie, did it not put you off Korean cinema? No, because my first, my first like, first Korean movie was uh, Kick the Moon, and uh, then I watched Friends, and then I watched this, and then I watched... Um, Whispering Corridors, and so it's like I figured one out of four is pretty good ratio. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, lucky it wasn't your first. Yeah, no, I would have been like, "This is a Korean. This is a new Korean movie. What? <laughs> this is a Korean new wave that everyone is raving about." Yeah. Uh, same director of uh, the remake also referenced and parodied Young Gary in Young Goo and the Dinosaur Zuzu. Uh, mainly in reference to the design of of the monster, uh, I'm hoping that they uh, reproduced the visible uh, outlet for uh, for the fire in his mouth in the parody. Yeah, I mean it's also interesting too. I just have to like this thing I was thinking about today is that Yongari is also a remake that was made with Amer like well Anglo-Saxon actors. That I don't think they're actually American. I think they're Canadian. Um, and so basically it was remade as a Western film. And then um, when we do Pulgasaur, that was actually remade by Shin Sang-ok as a Western film. Okay. So. It's getting complicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially mentioned, by the way, before we move on to our respective views of Yongari, uh, speaking of other Korean uh, kaiju films, because I thought of it today, I... Uh, there's always an excuse to get in a mention of the 1976 movie Ape, the yes. U.S. South Korean co-production with some of the genre's poorest special effects. But that movie, to me, is so high on energy and spirit that it becomes way better than Yongari and Pulgasari. I love it. Speaks to I, I, it's totally crap, of course, but uh, you know you, you can't go wrong with it, the actual ape, you know, giving the finger to all of his enemies in that movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, that just says it all, you know. Uh, did you guys see Ape at any point? I, I haven't seen it in years. And I can't say I've seen it ever. Uh, but, you know, you've just sold it to me. So uh, it, It's, you know, it's evident from minute one that their miniature work is not going to be up to par. But, you know, it has, it writes that wave all throughout and it, uh, it's just a blast if well, you're it, was, in... it was basically made because Dino De Laurentiis was releasing King Kong and they were like oh shit let's make a giant ape movie mm -hmm. it was like it's like how Asylum in America releases like these like so called uh, mock, mock busters mm -hmm. where they like Transformers is coming out oh they're gonna make Transmorphers mm -hmm. and release it on DVD you know but it's much better than anything Asylum's ever done so. Yes, <laughs> and it got a pretty decent DVD once upon a time by Image in the US. So um, hopefully you can still find Ape on DVD, and it's a decent print and all of that. So you don't need to search for 
uh, search the gr- any grungy basements to to find ape it's uh, it should be out there on ebay if it's out of print indeed uh, okay that's ape let's move over to young gary from 1967 and as we always do this i'd like to kind of uh, do a little bit of round table uh, where we discuss back and forth so if we start with you paul how about a brief opinion first of young gary pretty much your standard monster movie certainly much more than pulgasari that if which we'll talk about in a bit, does what it's supposed to do. Monster walks back and forward a lot. Um, I love the fact that you can see lines on little models. I love the fact that it's just standard monster movie. Mm -hmm. What, What, for me, stood out was, as really Korean, was the fact that in so many scenes there are wife mother, child. It's like, you know, family at home in every scene. They're all there. Um, even at the end when they go to kill the monster, they're all on the way to kill the monster together, <laughs> even the little kid. And it sort of just screams that, that whole archetypal Korean family is the most important thing in the world, especially when you're killing a huge monster. Um, Wow, you found human interest in this movie. That uh, I congratulations! Find, I I always find human interest, even if there isn't any. I make it up. <laughs> um, but that—that's what stood out for me. You know, aside from it is entertaining, it is unintentionally funny, but it really, really does speak that it's a Korean film rather than the sort of Japanese stuff, which is much more just standard monster movie and as I say I'm not a huge expert on the Japanese stuff maybe that's why the Korean side of it really stood out for me mm-hmm. yeah right. I, think, I think like the Japanese stuff like eventually became like when Godzilla started moving toward more family friendly entertainment you start getting more family based stuff but I mean even in the original Godzilla it's like the central characters are family but yeah this is much more of like the family as a unit fighting yeah. against Yongari, or uh, <laughs> you know, especially with the little kid and the itchy ray or whatever that <laughs> all that thing was. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of your view, then in short, uh, for now, Rufus, uh, like or dislike for Yongari? I-, I like it. I mean, it's totally utilitarian monster movie. I mean, it's like if if this is like you've never seen it before and you've grown up watching other monster movies it's not anything new but it does its job well and the special effects are pretty pretty good especially for the uh the time that it came out in yeah and and i agree it's decent where it matters in the genre content you know uh, even though it's oddly slow and a slight bit more shoddy but i say that in an affectionate way compared to its elite counterpart, which is usually Japan. You know, they didn't have ja- uh, Japanese special effects directors on this, clearly not. But it- it's nonetheless, it's very fun. And it adds a man-monster dance scene, so it's all good. Yeah, the <laughs> dance scene is definitely the best part. Of the I, mean, I, I mean, that turned it from potentially gloomy to, oh, that is cute. The kid <laughs> is dancing and Yongari is recognizing that the... Yongari is recognizing that humans are... Cool, nice, friendly, I guess, before they kill him. <laughs> but, but you know, on, on the special effects, because, you know, it's 
it's where the movie shines, you know, it, despite it not being, so to say, up to that elite level. So, I mean, the scope and the, uh, the scope is and the miniatures, you know, in, in that scope frame, it feels very familiar and it feels very um, familiar in, in a good way that, that, you know, they are echoing genre content well here. You know, I, I, I get very comfortable when seeing a 60s movie with obvious miniatures and and colorful as well i mean the print looks great i mean they, they are they are channeling it well but but as paul just talked about they are also channeling a korean angle which makes it you know if you want to take it seriously it makes it kind of unique too that it doesn't try to be uh, neutral and global it tries to be kind of local as well and it's also interesting, too, because it's like the main character is a Korean astronaut, you know, which at that point in Korea was not really a feasible uh, yeah. reality. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's like a very interesting, like, like pushing this concept of like Korea as like, you know, scientific. And that comes in this sort of social era where it was like just after the war. And so, like, Korea was rebuilding and branding itself as modern. So I think there's some of that in this as well. Yeah. But goddamn, does it start slow, by the way. That slow pan across the universe, slowly zooming onto Earth. And then the title card, like, five minutes in. Like, speed it up, speed it up, move it along. (laughs) But it may be the shortest Korean movie we ever cover on the show. Oh, yes. I'm glad. An hour and 17 minutes. So. I I can't imagine this playing, but then I then I don't know playing a, a lot better at one hundred minutes because in all honesty it doesn't hold my interest all throughout. I, you know, I, I'm I'm not a cynical guy, but in terms of like human interest and characters, I I I can't name like three characters from from this movie. Two I can name a scientist and a kid. Uh, apparently there were a few more, but I, I I can't remember anyone from it. But but that's not to say it doesn't have valid you know family dynamics as Paul just described. It's just like I I connect to Yongari, if you will, but not the humans. But uh, I've seen worse. So, but 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 was that a thread that you enjoyed all throughout, Paul, or, or it was just like an, uh, something you? notice you know that they're doing that but uh, was it good as a matter of fact for you i enjoyed it i enjoyed it very much from a from a korean film point of view um mm-hmm. like you say it does it is slower than it should be um but it's korean a lot of korean films are slow it's part of their deal um i i I did. I enjoyed it. It didn't hold my attention the whole time, but there was always something that brought me a smile to bring me back into it. Um, and it is amusing I, that the wife is there all the time, even in the chopper at the end where they kill off Yongori. And yeah, Yongori dies. What are we spoiling here? I mean, it's a monster movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but but she's always there, always clinging on, kind of, to her husband, I guess, if that was her husband. Uh, Flying the helicopter, I don't know. Of course, it was the '60s. It was her husband. It oh. wouldn't be anybody else, <laughs> uh, you know. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I'd happily watch it again. Um, you know, not next week, but certainly I wouldn't have a pro. I wouldn't be thinking, oh, done. I don't want to see that again. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. It's fun. 
back to the dub, by the way, the AIP dub. Uh, it's it's a pretty decent one. AIP and and Titra was a. Um, they produce a lot of classic dubs for the various Godzilla movies, and there, there is some thought put into the delivery here and the sync. So rather than being like an export dub a la most that came out of Hong Kong, or or the Toho export dubs that were made in Hong Kong that they shot out of the world, this is good. I mean, uh, and and on the editing, uh, by the way, I, I doubt this is very butchered. It looks like they sat down with this 100-minute edit. And took out kind of carefully stuff that wouldn't, you know, play to an American audience possibly, or to just speed it up for for screenings on TV and what have you. So, so, so I think in terms of the dubbing and the editing, uh, it looks like a thought-out job in that regard. I would actually like to know what they took out, but that's just me being anal about the whole thing. You just wonder, was it just because it was slow or? What what exactly did you take out? But mm. you know, I guess not likely to find that out. What did you think about the uh, Rufus, at least in terms of the dub, or or did you make any I notes thought, on the I other thought thing? the dub was actually pretty well. I mean, it's entertaining. Mm. Like it, it does work um, as this length of cut. I mean, what probably got cut out was more melodrama, family stuff. Probably, yeah. You know, like, that's the only thing that I could think of that was possibly cut out. Like, I don't see them cutting any of this amazing... Like, the the monster destruction sequences are really well done. Especially the sequence where he's, like, toward the end of the movie, where he's fighting the jets and he's, like, pushing down the... and collapsing the bridge. Mm -hmm. You know? I think, like, you know, everything else is what they cut. So all like, yeah. you know, when they like the inevitable someone gets cancer st- side storyline <laughs> got cut out. You probably uh, hit the nail right on the head with that one as well. And 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 I do agree. Uh, towards the end, the the special effects are at their sharpest, and, and we'll get to that. But uh, I I do like that they also recognize that the, the monster has to have a. A cool entrance, and what does he do? He comes out of the earth. They are tracking an earthquake, and it turns out it's Yon Gary. He comes out of the earth, and, uh, and uh, that 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 is rather cool, you know. That 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 is a decent build-up. It's not exceptional build-up towards you know this uh, this uh, great threat, if you will. And uh, but I I I do think they do that very well. And uh, I think when uh, it's either in this sequence or later on, but regardless, it's a sequence where the the ground you know caves in and uh, when Yongari I think comes out of it and the mat shots are pretty well done when you see humans running away from Yongari and he's in the background all all sufficiently done I mean it's in Pulgasari they have rear screen projection here they do more sufficient mat shots which looks way better and uh, but uh, the uh, the car going over the cliff in uh, Yongari is not very convincing though. <laughs> No, and I like how it's like there's uh they, they overdub like brake sounds while it's still exploding in midair. <laughs> so it's going over the cliff, exploding in midair, and yet someone's still pressing the brakes. You know, it looks a bit too light. That that that's the kind you you can make these uh, miniatures work if you via filming techniques achieve a weight. But here in a few scenes, including that one when the car goes over the cliffs and go cliff and go poof. 
not boom, but poof. <laughs> it, it looks uh, obviously way, way too much like a toy, light toy car. So they, they weren't really honed in on how to properly do that. But not everybody can be 80s Tsubaraya, which was the master out of Japan, the special effects director that did all these, uh, often did all these special effects uh, in, uh, in from the original Godzilla and onwards. So, I mean, uh, they they are doing a sufficient job and it's to be honest i i don't laugh at the movie i i laugh with it i i think it's yeah, totally. uh, it, it, it's totally sincere and i mean i i can't say i can do i obviously can't do it any better and uh they they are, they are doing it well do you think guys um this was if you can put yourself kind of in the mind of the 60s audience would, would this be like a big rare event film for the korean public uh you know that year's big sci-fi monster epic but i don't think because the only reason i think that maybe is because at that point i don't think japanese films were allowed to screen in korea Mm -hmm. i think they were still banned i could be wrong so if you're like writing a paper and using this as a source why but (laughs) uh yeah i don't know uh, and uh, moving on to some of my final notes on the special effects, uh, they, the, the, you know, the suit, act, uh, the, the the actor in the suit, you know, do a fine job and all of that. The, the puppets, uh, um, they, they operate his uh, mouth movements in a bit too flimsy way. Again, something that could have been helped with uh, different film speeds and what have you. But it, it is fun. It is fine. And when he starts. Uh, Finally, you know, shooting fire out of his mouth, you see the exhaust at the back of his uh, at the back of his uh, mouth where, where the fire comes out. And you know what? I I am in I that. Like that. I, I I was about to say you could argue that's part of Yongari's anatomy. You know, it's I have no complaints whatsoever. That that's just perfect for me. And and uh, wasn't there one of those like? Wasn't remember those like kaiju cutaways where it's like they have like inner anatomy of different kaiju was there one for Yongari? because that would have been cool i've not seen but you know what I, I would have loved to see that and um you know may, maybe we're onto something there that that exhaust that uh, clearly you know that's what they built into the puppet i, I do remember. want i do want to say one thing though that i like one of my favorite special effects weird gaffes in this movie is remember the scene where Yungari is again near the end of the movie, cuts the jeep in half yes. with his laser, yeah. and you see the little wheel as part of the front, like the you know like right where the jeep splits. There's like a little wheel. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was surprised the fucking jeep didn't explode. That was like Yungari, you know, teasing or holding back. You know, pew, spit yeah. in the jeep. There you go. <laughs> Because you, you you expect from these you know Godzilla you know when he used his his flame radioactive flame you know you know shit went up in flame, this was like, I'm, I I can split jeeps. He was surgical with that shit. Oh yes. <laughs> but um, and you know the finale kind of goes slow as well. He dies very slowly. They use an ammonia kind of solution that they drop on Yongari if I remember correctly. And, and he dies slowly, and it's kind of sad. And, and he dies of uh, anal leakage, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not cool. 
uh, that's just my train of thought. You know, he lies there in the water and you see blood in the water. Like, ooh, something. Well, you know, that's what happens when you die. Your, your bowels just release. Yeah, exactly. It's that, very realistic. It's a scientific kaiju movie. I would say so, and it appealed to the gorehound in me a little bit there. Hey, look at that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's not much to say about this. You know, you can summarize it easy. as It, it is fun, goes a little bit slow every now and again, but, you know, it, it brings a smile to my face. looks great in widescreen and all of that. And they, they did a good job, and uh, I, I would have loved to see them do more on this, but maybe Korea didn't have that many special effects technicians uh, or the inspiration to to go on or maybe as a third thing it wasn't successful therefore it wasn't worth doing these event movies often uh, but that is my end of my notes as so I, I open up the floor if you have anything else you want to highlight guys any in any particular any particular highlight so so go ahead guys floor is yours I think I, you pretty much covered yeah. it for me. And the floor uh, immediately becomes empty. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> because everybody want everybody wants to go into uh, the the mad the more mad behind stories, I guess, of uh, of the next Kaiju movie. I, I think there's a lot more to say and 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 gasp at in Pulgasari, wouldn't you agree? Yes. <laughs> so so um, uh, I, oh, I do. I do just want to say that there. Uh, Bong Joon-ho obviously is a fan of Yongari, uh, and like the host shares some several similarities to it, including like the the chemical release in the end and the family structure and stuff. And that mm-hmm. like while I was watching it this time, I was just like, wow, okay, I can see the sort of the host kind of referencing these, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he's even running around in the sewer, although he's not trapped in the sewer, Ichio, the kid in Yongari. But uh, you're right, that, that you can draw sort of a fairly straight line to the host in that regard. Even though a dance sequence, if that was <laughs> if that was part of the host, it was definitely cut. No dance sequence. Do you guys even remember the context of that dance sequence in Yongari? Hell no. I just remember <laughs> the dance sequence. Well, well, I, don't, you see... I don't think it was one. It was just a dance sequence that left you speechless. <laughs> yeah, he uh, the, the the kid wakes up Yongari with that uh, that thing that the scientist uh, invented. Uh, you know the big uh, I don't know what it was, but he wakes up Yongari. But instead of uh, being scared of him, he starts dancing in front of him, and Yongari does the same. And there you go, a bizarre moment in cinema. And God bless that we can quote such a moment you know that makes me happy that a movie has that if, if it's all that it's remembered for fine i'll 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 be happy to be a like a unique little footnote a footnote in cinema in kai in the kaiju genre remember this <laughs> movie where the kid danced and the monster danced as well well sort of like the random dance sequence in the marines who didn't come home the uh where it's like they're in the la- the camp and then all of a sudden they all burst out dancing I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. I don't remember that. <laughs> but random acts in cinema is something yes. to behold sometimes, you know. Uh, okay, done, done Yongari Justice. We'll take a short break and then it's time to uh, uh, examine North Korea's tactics in creating kaiju cinema. And uh, that will be the movie Pul- Pulgasari from 1985. So... Hold your breath, people. This is going to get a bit more ugly after a break. 
okay okay welcome back and uh, this is the part of the episode where we discuss Pulgasari we turn to North Korea for a look at their cinema or Kim Jong Il's cinema kind of um well this is a famous story so we're probably going to repeat some something that is uh, familiar to some of you uh, listeners but if you're not familiar this might come as a minor shock the story we're about to tell about uh, what led to the making of Pulgasari and all of that but plot first in feudal Korea the evil king becomes aware that there is a peasant rebellion being planned in the country he steals all the iron farming tools and cooking pots from the people so that he may make weapons to fend off the peasant army after he returns the property to the people an old blacksmith is imprisoned and starved to death his last creation is a tiny figurine of a monster, Pulgasari, a Godzilla-like creature that eats iron. And the blood of his daughter brings the creature to life and the creature fights with the poor starving peasants to overthrow the corrupt monarchy. So uh, there's some, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the symbolism and kind of what the movie is trying to say <laughs> it, it's pretty evident uh, if you think of it as a north korean movie and listen to that plot it's pretty evident what's probably going on here but we'll, we'll get to that and we turn as i said to north korea for their stab at producing kaiju Ega. and this 1985 production was co-directed by south korean producer director shin sang-ok not by free will though as it the story goes that he was kidnapped in the late 70s by North Korean intelligence on the orders of film buff and future North Korea ruler Kim Jong-il. Kidnapped to produce movies for him. Pulgasari being the most famous of them, but reportedly Shin directed seven films for Kim Jong-il. So we'll we'll tell some more details about this story. But first of all, uh, in general, guys, what is this to say about North Korean cinema? I don't think a lot of people know about if it's a thriving cinema or not nowadays. I certainly don't know. So, do you have any any notes on on that, Rufus? I mean, it's it's, it, it's still going on. Basically, what happened is Kim Jong Il is a cinema super fanatic, more so than any person you've ever met on any message board ever, <laughs> um, and has made movies and wrote a book on movies called Art of Filmmaking or something. Which Didn't is you write several even? Well, it's a book in three parts. Right, right. Yeah, and so it's basically about how the director is the great leader and, like, all the films have to be to Juche ideology. Um, yeah, so so the, unfortunately for us as Western, well, especially for me as an American viewer, it's extraordinarily hard to get access to uh korea north korean film um so there are a couple uh, uh polgasor as one center forward is another there's actually a tourism company out of canada i think that releases korean film with subtitles on dvd uh and then there's a guy named uh johans uh shown or somebody i think that's how you pronounce his name and he's like uh, an expert on North Korean cinema, and he just had a book come out called North Korean Cinema. Um, he's quite. That's big, about all he? I know. Yeah, he's huge. I mean, he's the big. Choreo Tours is the uh, the guys that run it. It's like a tourism company, but they do a lot of 
um, releasing film. And uh, the 13th Pyongyang International Film Festival just opened recently, um, which is uh, pretty well attended, um, especially by Europeans in China. Uh, of course, Americans aren't allowed to go. Hmm. <laughs> but as the archivist in me desperately, desperately, desperately wishes I could go to the North Korean Film Archive because Kim Jong-il had spies whose only job it was was to steal film reels out of Chinese theaters and bring them back to North Korea for his collection. (laughs) And while he was still alive, the Korean CIA used to send him 35-millimeter copies of films after they had finished their run in South Korea. God so, like, damn. Lord of the Rings and all of those would get sent to North Korea, you know, as part of this sort of, like, sort of behind-the-doors uh, policy between the Korean CIA and North Korea. A great side to him, but still a... a oh, he's a, a horrible, horrible... Yeah, a bit, a bit of a nutter, but I feel yeah. nuts, too, so... <laughs> Yipes. Uh, okay, uh, we'll, we'll we'll go on to this story and perhaps bring, bring some more perspective to it other than the ones I culled from uh, researching the internet. Uh, regardless of the people I'm going to talk about, if they were kidnapped or not, I actually don't know that. But the film Pulgasori boasts special effects crew from Japan, notably special effects director Tero Yoshinakano and Kempachiro Satsuma is the um, stunt performer of Pulgasari, the, the suit actor who played Godzilla from 1984 to 1995. And how serious the following quote is, I, I, I don't know, but Satsuma was apparently quoted when the Roland Emmerich directed Godzilla. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it, it's, the, it's the natural reaction uh, of the uh, bowel movement of uh, the Godzilla movie. <laughs> Uh, when that was released in Japan, uh, Satsuma was quoted as saying that he preferred Pulgasari to the American Godzilla. And stripping away the crimes behind the production uh, that we'll talk about, uh, Satsuma may have a point, actually. But uh, just looking at the films alone, I would pick Pulgasari before Amer- the American Godzilla from 1998. So, that's just me. But, uh, okay, on co-director Shin Sang-ok... And uh, the other director was apparently someone called Chong Gonyo. Uh, Shin studied abroad in Japan before returning to Korea and got his start in the film industry as an assistant production designer on a movie called Viva Freedom. The, this was apparently the first Korean film made after the country achieved independence from Japan. And Shin was an active filmmaker during what's referred to as the golden age of South Korean cinema of the 50s and 60s often releasing multiple movies per year and earning the nickname Prince of Korean cinema. His production company, Shin Films, was prolific as well, producing movies such as Prince Yonsan, 1961, the winner of Best Film Prize at the first Grand Bell Awards ceremony. And the company also produced a Grand Bell Award-winning 1964 remake of Na Woon Gyo. 1926 movie with a name I can't pronounce for the life of me so <laughs> would you like to help Rufus? Bongoli Samyang. What does that mean? Do you even know that? Well, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was it anyway. Uh, he became 
less and less active in the 70s as South Korea's film industry apparently battled with strict censorship and government interference and Shin mostly produced flops and after Shin ran afoul of the repressive government in 1978 the Shin studio was actually closed and then the involuntary North Korean period as the story goes as told on the internet anyway that period started so before we move on uh, as I Asked when we talked about Kim Kidok, is this a director you guys know in 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 a general sense? So, do you have any anything, anything you want to say about him, Paul? From my point of view, the story behind or the internet story behind his abduction and his wife's abduction um, is is how he came into my mindset in the first place. It's such a wonderful story in a really twisted way. Um, the the idea that he was abducted, forced into it, and he escaped. Obviously, I know Rufus may have another take on that, but just from a basic story point of view, it's just wow. His films, I I, I actually saw Viva Free, Freedom, I'm sure, earlier this year at the Cultural Centre. There was some talk with, um, you know, oh, this is one of the first blah, 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 blah. And I, I remember seeing it. I don't remember anything about it. Mm. Um, this story is possibly bigger than, uh, by now anyway, than his uh, career because... Hugely, hugely. Yeah. You know, it, it precedes him, really. It's just like every time you see his name, you think, oh, he's the guy that was abducted with his wife, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he died in 2006, as far as I know, mm-hmm. and his his legacy will be the fact that or the hopeful fact that he was taken away by North Korea. Is that your perspective as well, Rufus, that, you know, you, you know of his career kind of in a general sense, but the biggest aspect of it is this story, whether it's... No, I think, I, for me, I think it was opposite. I mean, I I knew of his career because, uh, for instance, the 1958 movie Flower in Hell is one of my favorite Golden Age Korean films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually also on the Kofa site. I highly, highly recommend it. It's just a brilliant, brilliant film and one of my favorite black and white films of all time. Um, and so I knew of his early work in the, the 50s and the early 60s, you know, his version of Chunyang, uh, My Mother and Her Guest, which is, you know, a, a classic film. Um, so all of these, like, early, you know, early films... Um, I knew of, and then when I went, when I was living in Korea was around 2006 when he died, and then that's when I was like, I, I learned about his being kidnapped, um, or quote unquote being kidnapped, because there are there is some some hesitancy if he actually uh, was kidnapped or defected mm. uh, with his wife. Um, and then he came, of course, to the U.S. and made Three Ninjas uh, knuckle up and produced some of the other Three Ninjas movies. And he also produced the American remake of Polgasaur, which is known as Adventures of Galgameth, um, <laughs> which is a horrible, horrible film uh, by Fantastic Sean. title. Yeah, uh, by Sean McNamara. Like, so that movie used to play on Disney Channel all the time. And so, yeah, so like. I, I kind of went to it backwards. And I do agree, though, that at this point, 
um, he's much more known for his story than his early films. And I think that is due to the fact that it's impossible to see these early films. Like, uh, The Flower in Hell was not available anywhere until, you know, just now when Kofa put it up there. Um, so hopefully as Kofa continues in this uh, drive to give access to these classic Korean films, that will change. Mm-hmm. But who knows? And I don't know if we'll ever see his North Korean films besides sorry and uh, that story that we've hinted on well i'll summarize it as best i can as it's written on the internet now but as rufus alluded to it there might be some different aspects to it we'll, we'll never firmly know but th- this is how the story mostly goes so it said that Shin actually went to hong kong in the late 70s to investigate the kidnapping of his ex-wife Choi yun he and um, promptly was kidnapped uh, by North Korean intelligence on orders from Kim Jong-il, who was keen to establish a film industry in the North to change international opinion of the Workers' Party of Korea. And apparently it took a few years for the movie production side of this story to come about. The Shin was brought to North Korea in 1983, uh, where he and his ex-wife realized they were both in North Korea. And uh, so from that point, it said he started to direct movies for for Kim Jong-il's uh, seven films in total before apparently escaping with his wife in 1986. Uh, because I, th- I think they remarried uh, during some point. Uh, they were in Vienna for a film festival, and apparently that's when they took a chance. And uh, they managed to seek political asylum from the United States Embassy before they were found out by by Kim Jong-il and, uh, or his his representatives, if you will. And uh, Kim Jong-il apparently became convinced that the couple had been kidnapped by the Americans rather than <laughs> them fleeing from his grip. <laughs> so they, they eventually fled safely. Uh, Shin worked in the US uh, under the alias Simon Sheen, directing movies, as Rufus mentioned, such as Free Ninjas Knuckle Up, and working as an executive producer for Free Ninjas Kickback and Free Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. What a fantastic title, Mega Mountain. Yeah. I think that's the one with Hulk Hogan. Sweet. <laughs> what a correction. Or I could be wrong, but whatever. Apparently, and Rufus might have, a, again, a, a little bit more perspective on this. Apparently, Shim wasn't keen on returning to South Korea for fear of not being believed He'd been in the clutches of the North, but in 1994 he did manage to go back to start directing in his South Korea, native South Korea again. And his last movies as director, with the English title of The Story of Winter from 2002, is said to be unreleased. Do you know if that's the case, if it was never completed? or? Uh... Yeah, I don't think it was completed. Uh, he, was that, he was, I know, was that the one of, where it was a musical of Genghis Khan? It was said he was working on that as well, but I believe yeah. that was a separate project, possibly. But uh, it, it was in the works, uh, definitely. I remember that. Yeah. So I mean, I yeah, he was very because he lived in America for a long time, and he because of the tenuous nature of his story. Basically, okay. So basically, some more background to that. So after he came back, the reason why he wasn't arrested in South Korea for sedition or whatever, or like, because he brought back rec- secret recordings of Kim Jong-il that he had made about Kim Jong-il talking about how uh, 
like that like his style the communism wasn't working and North Korea had, was heading for trouble and all of this stuff. So that's why he was sort of allowed to like stay in South Korea. So what my guess is, and this is totally a guess and should not be taken as truth, is he was sort of told, don't come back to South Korea, especially at that time, because it was still very much of a like anti-North Korea state, kind mm. of. Don't come back to South Korea stay in America because we don't want you here um, but we won't arrest you kind of thing mm. so I think that's what happened also I looked it up in Bongori Bongori Samyong means deaf like like can't hear right or right. you have a remake that is um, yeah. that is uh, company produced uh, Shane passed away in 2006 after complications uh, of hepatitis and uh, South Korean president uh, Ro Mo Hyun awarded him the Gold Crown Cultural Medal on April 12, 2006, the country's top honor for an artist. So, you know, regardless of what went on in that period, at least they recognized his, his uh, contributions uh, culturally after all was said and done. Yeah, and then as Rufus said, there is a fantastically named remake of Pulgasaria. You know, if names are appealed to me, I got them. I probably will see them. The, the Adventures of Galgameth. You know, epic. I mean, it just, yeah, it's it's not a good movie. I, I have seen it on Disney Channel. I mean, Sean McNamara, who directed it, also did the uh, Three Ninjas Knuckle Up or whatever. Like, I guess they were, they were friends. And mm. he also recently, uh, produced um was it soul surfer or whatever that movie is about the girl who uh right and he directed it about the girl who got her arm bitten off by a shark mm-hmm. and then found jesus and then kept surfing or something like that mm. yeah not also not a good movie but <laughs> uh all righty that's uh you know regardless of what happened we got pulgasari I think that was a good thing that we got it, um, personally, but let's move it over to Paul for a brief first opinion of this 1985 monster movie. What, what do you think of it? Is it a good thing that we got it? Yeah, a really good thing. I love Paul Gasari. Um I first saw it at a, a screening that a distribution company in the UK uh, did. They just did a one-off, here comes a North Korean film, um, and it was a packed audience I saw it with. And just the the pleasure on everybody's face. Um, I, I adore it. I, I love the fact that the propaganda oozes out of it. <laughs> I, I love the fact, you know, I mean, the the number of really obvious things you could say, you know, that the daughter's blood creates the monster that's going to save North Korea, you know, give your blood for North Korea, if you like, right through to the the young, you know, that the, are the evil king taking the things that they cook with the metal so that they're starving. But it's fine if they sacrifice the things that they cook with to feed Pulgasari because he's going to save them. I mean, it's just wonderful. And as far as Pulgasari himself, when he's a baby, he's so cute. <laughs> um, some, I'm, I know you're going to talk about the special effects and stuff later. But some of the special effects when little Pulgasari's running about are really good. They're a lot better than 
the the later back projection stuff, mm-hmm. which is sort of, you know, it's it's laugh with, but it's almost cringy laugh with. Mm. The 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 baby stuff, it's great. You just think it's so cool. <laughs> um, I, I I just love it. I have, I have very little criticism to make about Pulgasari. You know, there is an awful lot of crying in it, but. I watch Korean films. I watch films with a <laughs> lot of crying in them. Um, it's Spe- just worth- speaking of oozing out of movies, uh, you use the tears oozing out of movies as well, I guess. Totally, totally. Not that I would ever cry over a Korean film. <laughs> Actually, that's why I watch them all on my own. But um, <laughs> I have really nothing bad to say about it. I love Pulgasari. Everybody should see it. Right on. What about you, Rufus, for a first uh, brief opinion before we go into some details? It, it's it's batshit insane. Yes. That's it. It's, it. You have to see this movie at least once. Yeah, it has an obvious uh, agenda, and uh, uh, you, 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 you two are probably better at speaking about that than me, so I'm, I'm going to keep my views on, like, my interpretation on it, uh, I'll go last if you will, but uh, it, it all, no matter what, because it's so obvious, it's gloriously fun and goofy to see what it is, the serious things it wants to say, you know, <laughs> but combine that goofiness with quite a good technical achievement, you know, you know talent are brought, were brought in from Japan, as we talked about, and their skills are put to good use. Uh, I wonder if they knew the the deal here, if, uh, you know, my, my mind starts, like, racing a little bit, if, uh, you know, Shin tried to take them aside and through an interpreter, like, saying to them, help, <laughs> I'm trapped, <laughs> let me out, <laughs> or if they just were, you know, they were hired to be on a movie, you know, and uh, well, there's like there's there's North Korean schools in Japan. I mean, Japan's pretty open to the, yeah. You know, there's actually a documentary called Our School mm-hmm. that's about uh, a school of North Korean, like second generation North Koreans living in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, which is monumentally sad. It's a very sad film, but it's you know. So I think Japan has always had that sort of tenuous relationship, anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of interesting that like they would bring in Japanese uh, Japanese technicians when North Korea like is sort of like inherently anti-Japanese. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the the basis of North Korea is being like you know the Japanese were like horrible imperialists along with America. You know, so I I guess there were money could be kind of thrown around. You know, well, I mean, and Kim Jong Il is like his favorite kind of movie is monster movies. So yeah. he probably was like, "I'm making this movie, and no, you know, I control weather with my mood, so no one else can uh, <laughs> tell me what to do." My final note on my sort of first brief opinion: uh, it's it may have a sort of bad behind the scenes story, but the imagery here is stirring and great fun where it matters, you know, and uh, it excuses some of the downtime where it's not fully interesting, but compared to Yongari, it's not at all slow in that regard i mean i had a great great time with this uh, movie so 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 i guess we get we gotta get the first thing out of the way and get your respective like you know more more notes on the propaganda present in this film i mean what is there more to say about about that paul i mean it's enjoy it's it's an enjoyable aspect in itself a goofy aspect in itself or do you think or 
I don't know what do you want to say about that. I find it to be goofy to combine such obvious propaganda with this kind of genre. And, and I think someone is very I, serious about it uh, in the background. I guess there is, a, from my point of view, the goofiest part about it is actually the fact that it's it's clearly taken so seriously. I, you know, this is this is propaganda on a this is the way to live level, and that in itself is just like wow. And it almost makes me sit back and go, you know, he actually believed this. He actually was trying to tell people that that's the way they should be. Um, heaven only knows what people of the time, I don't know what North Koreans that saw it, well, I don't know what their reaction was, but certainly from from a, a today perspective from someone who's not Korean, um, it, it's got a beautiful goofiness to it, but the seriousness underneath it is is blatantly obvious and once again that the whole he almost tries to make his propaganda likable if you like the the fact that the little baby Bulgasari is so cute you, you almost love him and then he he's going to grow up and require all this sacrifice of this that and the other from all the people who are going to funnily enough starve as North Koreans do um it just it works on every level from an outside point of view, in my opinion. So, what do you take away from from the movie in terms of that, Rufus? Uh, what do you think of the combination of genre movie and propaganda? And does it become wonderfully goofy when all all stirred together? Yeah, I mean it's goofy, and then there's there's also some talk that like the because this was right around the time where the famine really first started hitting. Um, North Korea uh, and that some people read the fact that you know peasants are giving up their metal to feed Polgasori and starving themselves as sort of Shinsang-ok's kind of underhanded like working within the propaganda system to underhandedly critique the, I mean because there is I'm forgetting the Korean word but part of the ideology of North Korea is this like Suchun or something like it's something like that where basically it's about soldiers first and so like any time in a time of crisis soldiers the soldiers the dprk army comes first because they're the ones that have to take care of the country so it's like that same kind of concept so all these people are starving but they're feeding the 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 military strength of the people they're sacrificing their own personal you know survival, I guess, in mm. order to beat back the uh, capitalistic bad guy. I mean, I like it. I think I think it's not surprising. If you've seen Center Forward, it's the same kind of thing. It's a straight sports movie with every single cliched sports movie, you know, cliche you could possibly think of, set in North Korea about the fact that North Korean soccer team is going to carry forward North Korea, the greatness of North Korea to the rest of the world. And literally in the movie, there are subtitled for Korean audience, follow along, sing along songs to sing propaganda songs (laughs) in these sports. So there's like this great sports montage with this bombastic soundtrack. And it's a propaganda song about the strength of the North Korean people and how everyone's going to, like, continue on and, 
you know, it's it's amazing. So if you can track down the DVD of Center Forward, um, you can sing along it. if you if you, you know. Can, if you if you can read Korean, you can sing along. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. It's 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 the way of North Korean film. And and on, you know, if we talk how this plays as a genre movie, I mean, it, it hits the kind of things that you expect. You know, they talk about that Pulgasari. They they, they mention it ever so slightly and, and fast that it's a mythical monster, even though it seems like a new creation that comes out of the blacksmith's uh, spirit or blood from his daughter or whatever it was. <laughs> I don't really care about the details. I just remember that he goes bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it's also a well-costumed movie for what it is. It has some scope. It has some large scenes you know a lot of people in these battle scenes and uh and and i was reminded of uh, you know the oppression of the villagers who were saved by saved by a monster is kind of sort of but not actually uh, reminiscent of um daimajin uh, Majin, the monster of terror as is known in in america a fantastic uh Dai-A, uh, kaiju movie that uh at the time of recording actually just got a u.s blu-ray release so if anyone is curious about the Daimajin trilogy of movies that was released like um, 66 go get it but so that it reminded me about that but uh, well the ending is pretty much exactly the same mm-hmm. um and and as paul said rear screen if talking special effects not the sharpest choice i mean it's an older movie rear screen you even see that in fucking terminator 2 and it's not convincing there either totally, totally. so so in that, that's 91 so i'm not really complaining it's just that they ride that wave of using rear screen a little too many times for for comfort but the goofy point comes across you know <laughs> that's what they did there and i like it but the suit acting when Pulgasari gets big and not so cute anymore. It looks fantastic because he's got weight to him. The Japanese knew, you know, to convey that. And the dis- it isn't as flimsy as Yongari. Uh, and, and still, I, I, I do dig Yongari. But com- comparably here, it's clear that they're dealing with a special effects crew that are devoting themselves to this uh, aspect of the movie and uh, the monster looks really good in my opinion and the destruction of uh, the miniatures uh, various buildings and stuff like that looks great because because of the speeds they shoot them uh, the, the speeds they pick for shooting these they, they look weighty rather than just m- matchbox buildings just falling like you know, you know, like the toy car in Yongari that we talked about that had no weight. This has it, and it, there's a lot of memorable aspects of the special effects direction in that regard. And I think it's superb, actually. It's, it makes it fun and actually memorable. There's the film quality that you can extract easily, regardless of what you think of the story, uh, behind the scenes story of Pulgasari. Uh, you know, the special effects still shines through. One of my uh, actually favorite bits in terms of that special effects is when they trap Pulgasari in a in a pit and stones fall down and you know all the whole, that whole sequence just looks superb all the combination of elements uh, and um, and 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 it grows a 
better and better as the movie goes along. You know, it builds absolutely, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's just great. It's pitch perfect in my in my book, and I think that's why we all think that movie, this movie is fun as well because that spe- speaks to our you know our child in a child comes out. You know, this is cool, big monster smashing miniatures. You know, <laughs> actor smashing miniatures. That's cool. You know, you don't need to be a film scholar about these things. You, you know, sometimes stuff is just cool. Yeah, totally. Acting is cool too. Dramatic acting is over dramatic acting, and uh, I love the bit where the um, head of the bad guy camp—I don't know how to say say properly. <laughs> he has this dramatic thing where where he essentially says it's the end, and he flails out his arms and walks over to a pillar, leans on the pillar. It's the end. You know, Shakespeare would have been proud of that guy. <laughs> He he milks that moment, and he has uh, you know all the women around him as well, you know, clinging onto him and following him as he stumbles across. It's almost like he's treating it as a theater stage, this actor, and he he, he knows how to milk that moment. I love that stuff. <laughs> so um, uh, I can't admit that I followed the ending as uh, I couldn't really follow what was going on exactly towards the end, but I didn't really. Uh, I just enjoyed what was happening there with the sacrifice, you know, her crawling, the women, uh, the woman uh, crawling up into into the bell and then being eaten by Pulgasari and then being re... I, I don't know what happened. Can someone explain to me what happened during the end? I, I don't really understand it. Basically, because Pulgasari was like the incarnation of the blacksmith's spirit. Mm. And then, like, I guess because she was virginal and then he ate her somehow i mean there's also like very like sort of a shamanistic sequence where they're trying to like which is the rock sequence where they're trying to like um like uh exercise the spirit Mm -hmm. whatever so it might be something with that where because in korea only women can be shamans Mm -hmm. and they have a closer like you know it's sort of a closer relationship to the spiritual realm and traditionally especially back in that time women did have power um you know like there was they had you know actually political and social power um so i think that was why like her goodness and virginity like like shocked pulgasar into realizing what he was doing and you know he sort of like shrank like in my mind that sequence is the best special effect in the movie his exploding Mm -hmm. like when it starts from his hands and it's just like and like it's it's awesome uh and then shrinks down and goes inside her to do what i have no idea it's it's like all of a sudden she's like is she dead is she still alive who knows it's the end um yeah, but I mean, it's the same ending as Di- uh, Daimajin, you know, like yeah, she sacrifices much. herself to like destroy the giant Daimajin. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's not impossible that uh, some influences were taken from uh, from Daimajin. It's a very powerful ending in Daimajin because at that point where where he's come to the rescue of the villagers, uh, he essentially is about to get on with it because he feels like I, I, I should just take out all of them because they have these evil traits in them the humans so i should just take out all of them and just as he's about to go on a further rampage uh 
the woman, the, the, the central character, is about to sacrifice herself, and he stops and reverts. Uh, it is a really powerful moment in, in, in the first uh, Die Machine movie. So. Yeah. I mean, is she... I guess she's the one that brought him to life, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it's probably... the same thing. Her tea has essentially brought the Die Machine to life. In, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, her, her begging her... to the god. Exactly. So I think that's sort of like the... You know, her, her blood is what gave him life and is what takes that life back, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you, Paul, uh, what was this whole like ending? At all? Was it clear to you, or you at that point like you just go with it and extract whatever you extract from it, regardless if it makes sense or connects or not? Pretty, pretty much. You just, I just accepted it for what it was. You mm. know, there, as Ruth says, there's something shamanistic about it. There's something very feminine virgin about it but it doesn't really matter she she brings it to life she kills it 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 sort of it does what it needs to do without you needing to know exactly what they were saying Mm -hmm. so I as I say I accepted it enjoyed it hugely powerful ending and it just worked beautifully for the end of a gorgeous film (laughs) yeah at 95 minutes it's a it's a fairly snappy movie yeah you know again some downtime you know the, the human drama isn't at, at all times interesting or what have you but you know we get the goods uh, fairly quickly we don't need to wait until the last 20 minutes or whatever we, 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 which is something again connected to Daimajin you can argue that Daimajin has a cameo in his own movie but that's the purpose of the first Daimajin movie they build up a presence a presence a presence and then when it hits fever pitch he comes out in this case they give us Pulgasari fairly quickly, and uh, and we get to see him grow and grow and grow and grow. So it's all it's all good fun, and uh, you know if the story, the, the official story of uh, Shin's kidnapping, w- would have been that he was murdered <laughs> during his uh, time in North Korea, it would have been harder for me to watch this movie personally because uh, it was kind of when I started to watch it, slightly uncomfortable for a minute or two. You know, this is the product of that uh, kidnapping or whatever. But, you know, when it starts to reveal itself as a fun genre movie, which it does fairly quickly, you know, you just let go of uh, whatever. You you just look at the movie. Effectively, you can. uh, There isn't any thorough darkness connected to it. So um, so it's all good fun. One, uh, what I watched, I don't know what you guys watched because there are different versions floating about. I, I watched a copy of the Japanese released DVD of it with uh, added English subtitles by, by fans, I believe. Uh, it was a full screen version, which uh, possibly, I don't think this was a big old scope movie like Yongari, uh, because it didn't look very cropped. So, so, so it's possibly 185 or even full screen. I don't know if. North Korean cinema was experimenting with uh, with widescreen or what have you, but it, it looks fine if you get that version, listeners, on Japanese DVD. The print looks okay, and uh, the full screen print, even if it is cropped, you you don't seem to lose uh, that much because if it had indeed been a scope movie, you would definitely felt uh, felt that the special effects were you know too cramped, and 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 these movies often need, especially those old Toho movies or what have you, they often need a full frame to be appreciated because the destruction goes on from 
left to right <laughs> you know godzilla can start you know shooting his uh, shooting his uh, radioactive flames or what have you from left frame to right frame and you get the explosion <laughs> over there in the right frame so you you don't want the center frame uh, when watching certain of these movies with them another minor thing that i was just wondering if you knew anything about uh, even for south korean movies uh, way back in the day do, do you guys remember if they shot uh, sync sound for uh, for certain Korean movies uh, back in the day in the 50s and 60s or that came way later it certainly from from my knowledge for a lot of the 60s it was post post filming mm-hmm. um, you know I've watched a lot of stuff where it is it's essentially dubbed because it's it's post filming syncing yeah I'll, know, I agree I, I, I couldn't actually off the top of my head tell you what year they started actually doing live syncing but certainly for a lot of the 60s a lot of the the really you know films that are held up as you know this is this is what you need to see a lot of them were post-filming synced anyway this one was but but it's also fairly well synced um well a lot of them were a lot of them you know if they were sort of medium shots or or slightly more um, you'd hardly have noticed it was only close-up shots. You'd sort of slightly notice. I mean, they they did get quite good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, even into the '80s. I mean, unless it was like a big, a big picture or whatever, they still didn't. You know, they still uh, did a lot of ADR work, and you know, like I think like uh, Parrot Laughs with Its Body, which is sort of like the Yi Young Il from 1981 or whatever. Um, that was sync sounds, which was rare at that time. You know, so yeah, I, I don't think, yeah, I think like it existed, but not usually because yeah. it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. It's much cheaper to go out and film and then dump later. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I ask because uh, there, there was that change, for instance, in Hong Kong cinema for a while in the 60s. They did shoot sync sound, although sh- if you watch Shaw Brothers movies, you, you realize why they could, because they had their studio setting, their huge studio, and not shooting it, you know, in the midst of uh, in the midst of the loud, 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 loud Hong Kong city, you know. So, uh, so Shaw Brothers certainly could afford sync sound, and that changed... And then we got occasional sync sound in the 80s, occasional sync sound in the 90s. And from that point, uh, millennium and onwards, it was more common. So. I actually think that Shin Sang-ok was made... I, just, I don't know. You know when you have so much information in your head and it like slowly <laughs> comes back to you? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think that Shin Sang-ok was actually the first person to use sync sound in Korea uh, for King's Father which I think was in 69 or 68. So, so I mean, I think because he was also like one of the color cinema scope in 61 for his Chunyang uh, remake. A bit of a pioneer then. I mean, uh, being yeah. a frequent director and trying out uh, different... But he was a huge... He was like one of the biggest directors back then. I mean, that was like... He was... Shin Films was like, you know, one of the most popular students and he was one of the most successful directors but i think like part of the reason was like during the 70s was when the censorship got worse and then he uh he became to run into 
interference, which I think in my mind lends credibility to the fact that he was like, fuck you, South Korea, I'm going to North Korea to make movies. You know. So. Yeah, you'll never know. And, uh, you'll never know. Uh, yeah. uh, thankfully, a certain, cert, a certain proof is in the cinema here. And, uh, and the proof is that uh, genre filmmaking, at least in one case, for Shin, was uh, something he, he kind of mastered. Uh, definitely better compared to, for instance, Kim Kidok in Yongari. It seems like it was made slightly his thing, but not fully. Shin seemed to be more comfortable uh, being uh, being part of uh, being part of a genre genre movie. Obviously, not firmly directing all the special effects footage himself, because I think they turned that over to the Japanese uh, crew. But still, it's um, it's his movie or co-directed, if you will. Um, okay, unless. Do you have any other notes, guys, about this classic? Yeah, yeah just see it. See it. See it. <laughs> yes, it's easily seen, even by less, uh, like more illicit means. It's it's out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not. It's uh, both officially and unofficially, and and subtitled too. So um, yes, don't need to worry yeah, about totally. that. And the subtitles are pretty good because it's not like the script is that complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of aigu uh and crying. <laughs> you can you can do the hard of hearing subtitle then uh, Rufus and just insert a lot of, you know, characters crying now. Right. <laughs> In case you didn't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh okay. Uh, I have not this uh, we rather. I have not decided yet what we're gonna be doing for the next what's Korean cinema. Uh, I'm 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 feeling right now because uh, I'm feeling kind of a kaiju fever. I want to look into see if there's more Korean kaiju to l- be looked at either in the next episode or in the bonus episodes. Being the sadist that I am, I, I-, I kind of want to look at the adventures of Galgameth, either alone or with an inebriated co-host or two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with that. I like tricking and podcasting. <laughs> So uh, may, maybe we, we'll keep you all posted on the, on the Facebook group. So we, we'll keep it open for, for now. But they, this is Yongari and Pulgasari put to bed by us. But in no way should they be buried forever. Go out and watch them. And uh, it, it, it's history. It is cinema history here. For, you know, for better or worse, if you combine the cinema with the behind-the-scenes going-ons, if you will. But uh, thankfully no one was murdered. That's my point, as I said before. <laughs> uh, alrighty. Contact information again for all of us before we sign off for this episode. This has been What's Korean Cinema? With, again, the added subtitle. This is Korean Cinema. Oh boy. Is it ever Korean Cinema? Uh, a long subtitle in that case. This show is located on podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. The old forum with the old members-only archive, podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. Bonus episodes are posted occasionally on the website. Exclusive podcasts only for podcastonfire.com. Never on iTunes, never on Stitcher. And follow us on Facebook, as I said, facebook.com forward slash POF Network. It's our page that you can click and like. Follow the link on that page to the discussion group. Ask to join and you're essentially in... Very quickly, not a huge process to get uh, proved by me because I like you. I like you all, even if you're porn bots, as I said, you're 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 pretty much in because I'm a porn bot myself. So obviously, you know. 
uh, and follow us on twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire my writing sogoodreviews.com and my video reviewing sleazykvideo.com look out for the mix of Taiwanese movies, uh, occasional category free movies that I find uh, very cool. For instance, it's not very relevant at the time of recording. I reviewed the movie Confession of a Concubine, which is the movie that the characters of the uh, of Bulgaria, Val- the Pang Ho Chung movie, the movie that they want to remake. So director Pang Ho Chung knew his obscure sleazy shit. You know, no, no, because it's not a known classic. It's not intimate confessions of a Chinese concubine. This confession of a concubine is way below that. So that was cool. And I, I, I got my hands on that. Uh, follow me on Twitter as well. Twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. We are on iTunes. All the shows are slowly getting their own feeds. What's Korean cinema have their own feeds. So click on that to subscribe via iTunes leave a comment and rating if you like the show we would very much appreciate that and stream us on Stitcher if you don't like downloading your podcast to your device stitcher.com for the application to your computer or go to your nearest app store and download it to your smartphone or tablet once you're in Stitcher type in podcast on fire network or type in sin awesome of course and uh, you can all add all of that to uh, to your favorites and uh, on sin awesome uh, what is there to say again uh, about what's going on now in short it's under construction currently that's yes, the under construction but you can still visit us on facebook facebook.com slash awesome follow us on twitter twitter.com slash awesome or email me rufus at awesome.com and all the shows will still be uh, on itunes and stitcher yeah. where they were or will it change yes, like there, okay. nothing's changing uh basically we're just because we have a lot of content to ingest because we are taking in the archive of what was subway cinema news um so it's just going to take a couple like a month or so for me to do all this on my free time mm-hmm. but everything else is gonna and we are still going to be releasing uh the podcast episodes even while uh, the website's under construction. Right so. on. And again, in short, uh, Paul, HangoCelluloid. HangoCelluloid.com is where you can find the website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and like pages and stuff at facebook.com slash HangoCelluloid. I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash HangoCelluloid. And you can email me at HangoCelluloid at gmail.com. Um, plenty if you, of stuff if you want to interview Paul, you can email him. On that yeah, address, I'm, I might I might take a while to reply to that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, He's been selective yeah, now. He's been a diva, you know. I won't talk to you. I won't talk to you, but you, I won't. I will talk to. You know, you, you've got to New, think. News of the world. You're welcome. <laughs> you know. So, um, speaking of interviews, a, a new interview up on the site in a couple of days. A new review a couple of days after that. Uh, so. Hopefully, it comes hard and fast. That's the idea, anyway. Come and join. Uh, Okay, so that's us done with a bit of a Korean kaiju. Maybe for now, maybe it will turn up in some bonus episode when this episode is released. We're going to have some, during the next few days, uh, have a bit of chat of what we can do to elongate this uh, coverage. Because kaiju is fun, and Korean kaiju is not usually what's discussed on podcasts. But this is Yongari and Pulgasari put to bed by us. But go out and watch them. Thank you for listening, and this has been Kennedy, your host, and with me was Paul Quinn, so say bye-bye. See you guys later. And Rufus Duram. Have a good one.